Chapter Four of the Broken Rosary by Grace and Harold Johnson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Four. Mary's eyes were round with excitement as she watched Dan calmly light a cigarette before unlocking his car door. I always thought in a case like this that reporters made a mad dash to the scene of the crime. You're certainly casual enough. Dan smiled indulgently. You trying to make like the movies, Mary? There's plenty of time. Give Wilkes a chance to find out some of the facts first. It stays hanging around and waiting so long. Dan paused a moment, then added, To tell the truth, I did rush the first two murders I covered, and all I did was increase my heartbeat and blood pressure. Okay, front page Dan, take your time, Mary said as she slid into the seat beside him. They drove out of the polychrome crazy quilt of lights in the business section and headed toward Brentwood Avenue in St. James Church, where Dan parked his car beside the police cruiser in the church grounds. As they walked into the wooded lot which separated the parish property from the neighboring house to the east, Dan saw the strong beam of a flashlight wavering among the trees and heard the discordant barks of a number of dogs. Halfway across the lot they came upon the crumpled body of a man. Dan's gaze moved from the body to Patrolman Swigert, whose flashlight was covering the immediate vicinity. "'What else do you know other than his name's Duffield?' Dan asked. Swigert swung the beam of his light on the house beyond the wooded lot. "'He was visiting his daughter and son-in-law, a Mr. and Mrs. Rummel, who live over there. He's from Harlow, Missouri. He'd been over to St. James Church and was cutting across the lot when he got shot.' "'Who found the body?' "'Father O'Neill. He was out in the churchyard and saw the flash of the gun when it was fired. He said he waited a minute until he was sure the shooting had stopped. Then he came in here. Two shots were fired.' "'Did Father O'Neill see who fired the shots?' Mary asked. "'No.' "'Where is Father O'Neill now?' Dan asked. Again Swigert wavered the beam of his flashlight on the house. "'He's in there with Chief Wilkes.' Mary kept her eyes averted from the body, but Dan knelt beside it to get a better look. With the beam of the patrolman's light, he saw where one bullet had entered the skull slightly above the right eye, the other over the heart. Small twigs were embedded in the man's thick gray hair. By the texture of the wrinkled skin of his hands and face, Dan judged him to be past seventy years of age. He'd been a big man. All of his character was in his face, even in death. Honesty, steadiness, and a certain grimness of purpose. "'There's a powder burn,' Dan said. "'Yeah,' Swigert agreed. "'Must have walked right into it at close range.' Dan stood up and took Mary by the hand. "'Let's go to the house and get the dope from Wilkes.' They walked toward an old rectangle house set deep among large trees. A bare-ceiling lamp showed a narrow porch which ran across the front and extended to a side door which opened into the kitchen. Dan pulled open the screen door to allow Mary to enter, and then followed her. At a table in the center of the room, a woman sat sobbing, her head buried in folded arms, which rested on the porcelain top. Father O'Neill stood talking quietly to her. Through the doorway leading to the dining room, Dan could see Wilkes talking to a man whom he supposed to be the woman's husband. When the priest saw Dan and Mary enter, he walked up to them. "'Hello, Mary. Hello, Dan.' The two reporters chorused. "'Hi, Father.' "'Understand you were in the churchyard, Father, when the shots were fired,' Dan said. Father O'Neill's blue eyes swept the room, and he dabbed a handkerchief at his high forehead, as if getting set to preach a sermon. "'Yes, I was. 
I had been over to the church, and on leaving I noticed the old gentleman, Mr. Duffield, kneeling in the last pew intent on his prayers. "'What time was that?' Dan asked. "'Eight-thirty. I looked at my watch as I came out the church door.' The priest paused, pursed his lips, and thought. "'When I got outside, I decided to take a walk in the yard to cool off before going into the rectory. I had been there about three or four minutes when Mr. Duffield came out and walked toward this house.' He was halfway through the wooded lot when he was killed. Two shots were fired. I saw the flashes from the gun. In fact, just before I heard the shots, I saw a flashlight snap on, and Mr. Duffield held in his beam for a second. It was then the shots were fired. "'Did you see who fired the shots?' Mary asked. "'No, Mary, I didn't. I heard someone running away through the underbrush, but there was a great deal of commotion as the dogs out there in the kennels were making a terrific racket. Where the person ran to... I have no idea. There was a moment's silence before Dan asked, Did I understand you to say, Father, that the dogs didn't start barking until after the shots were fired? It's hard to say, Dan. Some of them seem to be barking over there all the time. It's a regular nuisance. I've got to the point where I accept the barking without paying much attention to it. However, after the shots were fired, they were all barking. There's no mistake about that. You think, though, that whoever murdered Mr. Duffield ran into Idlewood Park? That could be, but as I said, there was too much noise from the dogs for me to tell for sure which way the person ran. I presume that it was toward the park, or else Mr. Rummel would have seen him. I did hear a car motor start a couple of minutes later, and someone drive away from within the park. But you're not sure that the person went into the park? Mary asked. Where else could he go? Dan asked. All that's back there is the park. He could have circled toward the front, out onto Brentwood Avenue, Mary said. Dan looked at Father O'Neill. Do you think that possible, Father? I wouldn't know. As I said, the dogs were barking so loudly it was impossible to hear much of anything. Chief Wilkes wiped his forehead with his handkerchief as he walked into the kitchen. Hot in here, isn't it? I wish Dr. Platt would get here. I want to get back to the merchant's bank. Mary's brow wrinkled in a questioning form. Mr. Wilkes, don't you think it queer that two homicides would happen so close together? Could there be any tie-up? Mary's trying to make a real whodunit situation, Dan said. The police chief smiled. I can't see how there could be any connection between this murder and Wally Brighton's, if he was murdered. The same person couldn't have done both jobs, that's sure. It would have been physically impossible for anyone to leave the bank get into a car, cross town, park, and get set out here for a second murder in the short time that elapsed between the two shootings. Mary nodded. That's right, but it seems queer to me. I think, Father O'Neill said, that the person who phoned Mrs. Rummel shortly after eight o'clock and asked for her father may have had something to do with the murder here. He was probably checking to see where Mr. Duffield was. Wilkes looked surprised. What's that, Father? She didn't say anything about a call. When did she tell you? Mrs. Rummel told me about it when I first talked with her before you arrived. Did she know who the call was from? Dan asked. No, she has no idea who it was. When she inquired, the man only laughed and said his name was Smith. He said he was someone her father had met in town, and that he thought he'd drop over to see him if he was home. What did Mrs. Rummel tell him? Mary asked. She told Smith, if that was his real name, that her father had gone over to church, but would surely be home around 
Chief Wilkes worked his lower lip over his upper one for a moment. Guess I'd better have another talk with Mrs. Rummel. Father O'Neill looked at his watch. And I'd better get over to the rectory. After the priest left, Wilkes walked over to Mrs. Rummel, her face still buried in her arms. All Mary could see of her was her trim back and her soft, wavy, light brown hair. She felt sorry for her, having to undergo police questioning at a time like this. As Wilkes approached, Mrs. Rummel straightened in the chair, her gray eyes looking out from swollen red lids. You had a phone call from a man named Smith this evening? What time was that, Mrs. Rummel? Wilkes questioned. About five minutes after eight. What did he tell you? He wanted Dad, and I told him he was over at church. Dad usually walked over each morning around eight to say his rosary. I said he should be home around eight-thirty. Had your father ever mentioned knowing a man named Smith here? No. Just before your father was shot, you heard a commotion in the kennels. That's right. Wilkes' voice was even, quiet, but his eyes centered hard on Mrs. Rummel. Yes. Was this unusual? I mean, at that time of the evening? Oh, no. The dogs are noisy most any time. When they bark, does it mean a stranger is on your property? I wouldn't say that. They bark then, of course, but all they need is to see a rabbit come out of the park or the wooded lot next door, and they'll start yapping. You mean the dogs bark at rabbits even at night? Oh, yes. That's when the rabbits come out to feed. If the dogs can't see them, they smell them. How long have they been barking before Mr. Rummel went out to quiet them? He went out right away, as soon as they started. He knows their barking makes me nervous. Wilkes gave her a sharp glance. Where were you when you heard the shots? In the living room, reading the paper. Your husband said you were in the kitchen, Wilkes said quickly. Mrs. Rummel looked startled. Her hand made a nervous gesture of pushing back hair from her forehead. He must be confused. Why, I was in the living room. What'd you do when you heard the shots? Nothing, nothing at all. I just wondered what it was all about. And you didn't get up to investigate, to look out the window, or go to the door? No. Your husband was outside and the shots came from outdoors, but still it didn't interest you enough to find out what it meant? Wilkes' voice had a caustic note. I was too scared. Scared? Why were you scared? I'm always scared out here, especially at night. It's like being buried in a forest to live around here. The lots on both sides are filled with big trees, and then there's the woods of the park behind us. I'll sure be glad when someone builds a house next door. Wilkes nodded. That's all for now, Mrs. Rummel. After a glance at his watch, he added, if you can recall anything your father may have said about this Mr. Smith, or any new acquaintance he may have made here, let me know. If Mrs. Rummel heard him, she made no response. Her head was again buried in her arms on the tabletop. Wilkes turned to her husband, who was standing in the doorway to the dining room. Mr. Rummel, will you try to recall anything that might have led up to this murder of your father-in-law? Rummel's pallid face twitched. I have tried, but there's nothing... If you should remember anything, no matter how trivial it seems to you, let me know. Wilkes then turned to Mary and Dan. Phew, what a night. Sure is hot. Yep, it's preheated, Dan said. 
Will it be all right for me to ask Mr. Rummel a few questions? Sure, go ahead. Dan walked nearer to where Mr. Rummel was standing. I'd like to ask you a few questions for the dispatch, Mr. Rummel. Rummel looked at Dan, his eyes unfriendly, yet reluctantly honest. I'll tell you what I know. Did your father-in-law visit here often? No, this is the first time. You lived here very long, Mr. Rummel? About four years. Dan gave Rummel a questioning look. You've lived here four years, and this was his first visit? Rummel ran a hand nervously across his pointed jaw, drew a long breath, and nodded. That's right. It was quite a long time. But you see, Harlow's quite a piece from here. And then, too, he couldn't get anyone to take care of his store. What kind of store? Dan asked. Corner grocery. Small deal. He'd had it ever since he lost out as sheriff. When was that? About thirty years ago. Dan hesitated, as if in search of another question. Do you know of any reason why a person would want to kill Mr. Duffield? No. Rummel shook his head, and then scrubbed his face with a work-scarred hand, frowned, and added, Why would anyone up around here want to murder him? I'm wondering the same thing, Dan said. You don't suppose somebody was out gunning for you and made a mistake, took your father-in-law for you? The question caught Rummel off balance, and he had no ready answer. His eyes sought the corners of the room. From that moment doubt entered his mind. Nothing was positive any more. The silence of the room grew thin, and John Rummel felt the thinness. He looked wildly from Dan to Wilkes to Mary. I don't know. I never thought of that. Who'd want to kill me? Dan shrugged his shoulders. Got any enemies? Rummel drew in a short breath of smoke and exhaled immediately. No, not that I know of. It's a silly idea, ain't it? Dan couldn't make out whether Rummel was telling the truth or not. Forget it. It was just a thought. Why all the dogs out there? I raised Scotty's as a hobby. Rummel turned as if to walk away. Just a minute, Wilkes said. You told me you went outside just before the two shots were fired. Said you went to quiet the dogs. How long were you outdoors when you heard the shots? I can't say exactly. Maybe half a minute. Maybe a minute. The dogs quieted as soon as you got out there? A little bit, but they wanted to keep on barking, and I don't know why. I had a hard time with them. They didn't seem to want to stop. Then what happened? Wilkes asked. Rummel shifted his position as if to escape Wilkes' eyes. I started to go back to the house. You started? What do you mean? Didn't you go in? No, not then. Just as I got to the back door, I heard the two shots over there in the wooded lot. I heard someone running away toward the park, so I went toward the place where the sound came from. When I got to the trees, I decided I'd better tell my wife what happened, what the shooting was all about. I knew she'd hear the shots and be excited. She's terribly nervous. Wilkes' eyes wore intently on Remmel. Then you knew it was your father-in-law who'd been shot? Remmel shook his head. Oh, no, not then. I just... But you said you went into the house to tell your wife what the shooting was all about. Wilkes cut in. Remmel looked around the room with a bewildered gaze. I know. What I meant was that I wanted to tell my wife that someone in the lot next door had fired the shots. She'd feel better. Is that a usual occurrence around here? No, of course not. 
Then why would she feel better? Well, I don't know, except she'd know what had happened. That is, she'd know where the shots came from. You always feel better if you know what happened. She'd know it wasn't in our yard and didn't concern us. But it did concern you, Wilkes said. I didn't know that then. Wilkes nodded. He wasn't satisfied with Rummel's answers, but he could see he'd get nowhere questioning him right now. Why hadn't Rummel gone into the lot to see what was going on, just like Father O'Neill had? Why had he said he'd turn back to the house after starting for the lot? Rummel's eyes shifted uneasily from Wilkes to Dan. Any more questions? Yes, a couple, Dan replied. What's your wife's first name? Veronica. Any children? No. That's all from me, Dan said. Then he turned to Mary. Let's go, pal. I'll get the new dope on this in the morning. Wilkes watched the two reporters go out the back door. The heat of the day, heavy in the small room, lay on him as he listened to Mrs. Rummel sobbing. He wanted to get out of here, too. On the way back to town, Dan turned to Mary. Well, how do you like a general assignment? Mary forced a little laugh. It's wonderful compared to the stodgy stuff I have to cover. But I'll admit, I do feel a bit as if I'd taken a trip through the proverbial ringer. Dan shook his head. Too bad. Then he grinned. But I'm glad. I was hoping you'd feel that way. Why? I can't see you as a squirrel cage type. Meaning? Going around and around chasing news like a squirrel in a revolving cage which all goes to show how very little you know about me. Dan laughed. Don't let it be said I'm not willing to learn more. Mary smiled. Where do we go from here? I'm going back to the Merchant's Bank building, but I'm going to take you home first. Oh, no, you're not. Mary shook her head. I'm seeing this thing through, even if I do have to be only an innocent bystander. If you go back to the bank, I go back to the bank. Dan laughed softly. Okay, honey, I like having you around. End of chapter 4